0: little inside knowledge on the In Goal Radio podcast. We do this little sync before we record because we're all in different spots. And uh, and this week, uh, it's we call it uh, clapping. And then it makes sure that uh, that we can start our recordings. And it makes it easier for Dad, uh, David Hutchison, every week. Well, uh, Darren Millard and uh, Kevin Woodley on this week's episode. And uh, we did the sync just now. And Woody did the uh, the clapping. And now he's, he's injured. He's day to day. All right. Are you gonna be able to shake that off? I don't know. Like I'm
1: like S-A-W-F-E soft. Like it is getting pretty bad. Darren stepping up and filling in for both me and Hutch traveling. Uh, full disclosure: I was actually traveling on a family trip. Did a little surfing in Tofino for the week, and I'm old. Yeah, and I am old. How was the surf? I don't know what was worse. It was good. It was good. It's perfect for. Perfect for an old man on a longboard. It was like shoulder high, right? So nothing more than that for me. Thank you very much. Um, but I two things. One, everything hurts. Surfing's like goaltending, to be honest with you. One, like I have to do all of Maria Mountain stretches before I can go surf. All of her dynamic warm up routine because you've got to be able to sort of pop up and get that foot uh, underneath you and up the board far enough. You have to have a lot of clearance through the hip. So in that way, like if if your hips are gassed, you you can't serve. I
0: can't do it. I I have to do this two stage.
1: Yeah, and 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 that's the thing. It's hard to catch the green waves, right? Like you can catch the wash waves, but hard to catch the green waves unless you can pop up. And so um, I did a lot of work on my hips while I was there, and they ached. Um, Two, there's sort of the patience thing, right? Like you got to go out and you got to sit. You can't just like you can't chase a puck. You're terrible at that. Make it come to you. You have to wait because as soon as you chase the wrong wave you miss the best wave of the set. Like You really have to sit and sort of zen out a little bit. And then when it's time to go, it's like goaltending. You wait, you wait, patience, and then boom, you got to go. And three, hot tub beers are awesome after both goaltending (laughs) and surfing. The worst part, though, was out in the lineup and these young kids are like, they're talking to each other like, man, there's a lot of old dudes out here tonight. And it took me about five minutes to realize they're talking about me. talking now, about dude. you oh so thanks for uh, carrying the load there last week um it is seriously it's taken me three or four what? days to recover and the worst part just like stepping on the ice and like toe picking like last day best wave kids are surfing on the secondary breaks on the inside dad catches a good one rides in all proud like look at me too cool for school all the way in through the wash break, I'm just going right to the beach. My kids are all like, all right, look at my dad. Bail sandbar, couldn't have been any deeper than my fin. Landed on my butt, I have the worst bruised tailbone ever. So between the clapping injury, the tailbone injury, the sore hips, like I've got one foot in the retirement home at this point, Darren, but it
0: was a hell of a week. Well, the good part is that you can just sit back and watch a lot of hockey now because we've got the National back. Hockey League in the two bubbles, and they're going... Uh, just uh, a comment on all the equipment changes that we've seen uh, through phase three that have carried over to phase four.
1: Yeah, it's been really fascinating to watch. And we touched on this a couple of weeks ago. Um, you know, obviously, LeFave and the split from CCM, they're playing a big role in this. And as I said a couple of weeks ago, I, th- I think maybe early in the LeFave sort of dynamic of that split, I don't know that I, I considered it to be enough of a break just because, you know, they'd made the pro gear for CCM. And Maybe I didn't give them enough credit with the L20.1 pad as you know, truly being a switch. So it has been fascinating to watch. It's been interesting too at times to see some of the reaction. I mean, everyone lost their minds when Kerry wore it for one day. Uh, then he was back in, in CCM. Um, you know, Carter Hart wore it throughout camp. And and it's interesting because a lot of guys, I watched them wear it throughout camp. Mike Smith wore his Bauer that he'd worn early in the season throughout camp. And then the last couple of days, Carter's back in CCM. Smith's back in his CCM. Peck has gone back to his CCM, and I'm not sure which, one, which way that one's even going to go, to be honest with you. When I started reaching out to some of the guys, I talked to Ben Bishop uh, just about, are we surprised to see this type of gear switch? And, and he's trying the new ultrasonic with the stabiliside knee. He said, no, not really. Like, Yeah, it's playoff time, but like it is an opportunity to try new stuff out. He's got a set of each. But there's so, so much practice time right now. Yeah, exactly. And that's the other thing. Guys that don't want to kill their game sets in practice. And so as, as I saw these guys switch back, I kind of thought, geez, I wonder, you know, is there an element of, hey, I just want to wear something else? Because training camp, we never have two-week two week training camp. Like like you said this last week, like training camps normally two, three days and you're into preseason. These guys were on the ice for like two straight weeks. Literally thousands of butterfly drops and shots to the glove. And Carter Hart, sure enough, confirmed it. he's like, yeah, I was... That's what I was doing. I would my and he brought his LeFave set. He's gonna wear CCM. Looks like he's gone to a LeFave blocker. Sticking with the CCM glove. The the LaFave the glove doesn't feel the same to him. Um, but that's the setup he's gonna go with. LaFave plus the CCM blocker for practice, and CCM plus the LeFave blocker for game. So again, saving the gear doesn't doesn't mean he's gonna go one way or the other long term, frankly. It's just how he set it up. So
0: it's been fascinating to watch. Like Freddie um, Anderson though, he is a guy that switched completely.
1: Yeah. And that's a big one. And obviously, you know, not, you know, tough one uh, on the Bauer side of things in terms of just, you know, what he was, uh, you know, sort of a franchise tag guy uh, for lack of a better term and under contract. And like the last time we saw a guy and I, I don't know that his contract, they're all kind of different. Like uh, for example, carries Carey prices contracts, like his runs through September. Uh, I don't know if they're all like that or if it depends when you sign them. So Freddie's contract, I mean, calendar-wise, could have been up or he may have broken it. And Kerry was kind of the last guy, I think, that broke a contract like that. right? Remember when he was in Vaughn and went to Reebok CCM in the middle of a season So, uh, while still under contract to Vaughn? So it does happen. Uh, These companies will never get in the way of a guy if he feels more comfortable in something else. And I think you know, I've, I've texted Freddie a little bit on this, and he, he didn't want to get into it too much and fully understand that. These guys don't want to get caught in the middle. That's the other thing. Bennington and Lefebvre, Um, there's another guy that switched. He wore CCM, sort of first CCM-made E-Flex at the All-Star game. Told me two days in van- later in Vancouver that he really liked it, but he didn't want to declare anything one way or the other, and he didn't want to get caught up in the middle of it. Freddie was kind of the same way, but you could tell there were some things he really liked about the gear. And I think if you've been paying attention, you aren't shocked. And it's not so much... I don't even think it's a Bauer thing. It, this is just a guy that's looking for answers right
0: now. Um, we went to, to a Calling skate too, right?
1: Went, changed his skate. Yeah. Frankly, reached out, to, so, you know, reached out to a goalie coach he used to work with that I know. Um, you know I think he, he may be working with some different people on the mental side of the game right now. I mean, making a lot of changes. Uh, but if you watch him during the season... I don't know how many people really notice this, but he he quite like he he changed and, and look at the Lefave pads how short they are. He really went to a shorter pad. I mean significantly. How
0: much? Like, like give me he, an idea. He
1: he's like an inch to an inch and a half below his max. Where most guys are trying to play right to the max of 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 what they're allowed under the NHL rules. He's he's either an inch or an inch and a half below and that. And what does that allow uh, to him to do? Where, Well, he was actually cutting his pads down, his Bauer pads down to get to that, right? So again, a guy who's looking for different answers to his game. He showed me in the locker room actually during the season why it works for him. And it kind of made sense. When he's in a narrow butterfly, even with the shorter pads, sorry, when he's in a wide butterfly with the shorter pads, it still closes. So he still feels like he has that five hole protection. He felt like longer pads, in order to have the tops meet when he dropped, he had to go into a narrow butterfly. Or a narrower butterfly, and he liked the mobility of being in a wider one. So it made sense. He is actually like doing trechiacs on the the visiting room locker room floor with me. Uh, I had my camera, but hold on, explain a trechiac.
0: What a trechiac is?
1: Well, like the one one knee up, one down, yeah. like sort of back and forth, left knee, right knee, left knee, right knee. He was doing it in his pads to show me how the shorter pads were perfect when he was in this wide butterfly going up and down. And you know, it's too bad. A, Wasn't allowed to pull out a camera at the time, but it would have made fantastic video. And it made a ton of sense. But when you look at his goal chart, he's given up. Um, Somebody told me, I don't have the whole league, but somebody else who does told me the most five goal goals in the league this year. So, you know, there's a bit of yin and yang, give and take, like everything in goaltending, give and take. So this whole conversation is fascinating. I, I think... We get a little obsessed with it, and I understand why. It's a big deal, and having a new company or a new old company or whatever you want to describe lefave it is a big deal. And they've been around a long time, and we've, we've said before, they're master craftsmen, so not surprised guys are switching, especially the guys that have been wearing their gear. But this stuff, this is going to be interesting because this is just the start. This is going to carry over into whatever off-season we have. Um, there were guys that didn't switch. Jacob Markstrom stayed in his CCM. Didn't like the way the new Lefave sat on his skate, but don't forget he was sent a different model. Lefave is still capable of making an E-flex like Markstrom is going to wear with CCM. So Babrowski, similar type situation doesn't mean they're not going to switch. Like you just don't know. I have and a theory. Th- well, there is going to, I'll give you one more little piece of information. And we've heard this from a couple of goaltenders. Um, Nothing promised, nothing for certain, but the understanding has been made that they've been come to the understanding that there's gonna be money there. Like it's not like they're just I think a lot of people in the gear world like it when a, like they they like to rally and I understand why around the smaller companies and they like to paint this picture like this guy just switched because he loves the gear. But the reality is is a lot of these guys have been told there's gonna to be money there. And I think probably the worst kept secret in the goaltending world is the link between the LeFaves and True. So We'll see if that pans out and that's where this money is evidently going to come from. So contracts will play a role in this once we get into a real offseason. Anybody that thinks it won't is probably being a little naive. Can I tell you my theory?
0: All right, let's hear it. Guys are bored. (laughs) They had had four and a half months and they had had conversations with the manufacturers and reps and and we'll get to this and then they got sent that and they tried it and they looked at it and they liked it and they fiddled with it every day they had nothing going on and their mind starts uh twirling and they they thought they tried it and, and they were bored and they they ended up trying it
1: that well i mean and certainly uh, as we heard we saw garrett sparks on social media saying that pretty much anybody who wanted a set could get a set smart play by the lefebvre absolutely they're they're not stupid people um they uh they sent sets to whoever was willing to sort of test it uh, interesting, interesting though. Like, you know, who, you know, who suffers through all of this is our buddy Kay. like right. he has to approve all of these. Like I can't imagine he was super thrilled to see all these tests, all these sets sent to his office on spec versus, you know, guaranteed they're going to use them. I can't imagine he was super thrilled with that coming out of a lockout. Kay was bored too. Who are we kidding? He was,
0: he was bored that, too. Maybe, so that, maybe, so but we him would something you, to do.
1: Imagine coming out of your pandemic, you come to your office and there's all this gear like piled up yeah. to the ceiling. So poor Case probably had to sign his uh, <laughs> autograph
0: a lot more than he did during his <laughs> career over the past few months. Um, I want to ask you about the no-look goal that Connor McDavid scored in the exhibition game against David Riddick. And it looks Dirty. great on television. The replays and the sizzle reels are awesome. Dirty. Does... David Riddick, even know that Connor McDavid isn't looking at him, or is David Riddick looking at the puck?
1: You know what? I think that's a question for David Riddick, and I actually haven't. Checked what would you be
0: looking at? All reels. I'm more of a puck tracker. Me too. Now here's I, I think thing. everybody would be, wouldn't they? When when he gets in that close, Nobody, nobody's this, looking at the. At, nah,
1: you know what? No, I saw this question asked on Twitter. Actually, I got tagged in it, and they asked that he lack and what are you looking at? And Eddie actually said, you're looking for all kinds of visual cues, hands, eyes, all those things, as opposed to just locking in on the puck. Now, I was just going to say, I'm a puck tracker. So my head would be down on the puck. It's kind of a philosophy that I've learned and it's helped me. But at the same time, if McDavid, if McDavid snaps it quickly five hole from there, I'm also letting it go between my legs. Like, Let's not, and if if we're talking about me, he could probably be another 20 feet away. And the way he released it
0: was it was it was like he was hiding, he was showing past the whole way on the blade, not just with the eyes.
1: So even even if you were straight tracking on the pocket, there's no guarantee you could make that save. That's because he hit it everywhere. The deception, great point. The deception was in the hands, the deception was in the eyes, the deception was in the stick blade. Everything showed past. So I'm not sure it mattered, but I thought it was interesting to see Eddie's answer. and you know, we've had this conversation with guys around the league like Ryan Miller on the importance of anticipation. I remember writing that story like, oh, for Unmasked for must be three, four years ago. And basically, Ryan, to paraphrase, um, and maybe we'll get him on to talk a little more about this. As I know he's, he's probably sitting at home wishing he was playing right now. <laughs> but, yeah, the, the theory was just basically that, like, if you haven't picked up on the visual cues, especially from that range, and if you haven't absorbed all these other visual cues, And if you're not actually moving before that shot is released from that range, you're dead. So I do think a lot of goalies are looking for more than just the puck. And yet there's this sort of yin and yang philosophy or different philosophies on it from that range. I thought Riddich's head was down on it pretty nicely. And so maybe it didn't matter what he was looking at because it was hidden so well with all the other elements. But you know, a lot of guys in the NHL will tell you, if you're just looking at the puck, you don't have a chance from that range.
0: Like when he gets in that tight, don't you have to zero in on the puck? Maybe, maybe. And, and uh, you know what I think the beauty is?
1: The answers are probably going to differ depending on each guy. Yeah. Like, you know, there are, there are tracking guys and there are read guys. Um, the guys like Brayden Holpe, who have learned a lot of the new tracking stuff and still feel like they have to be up and play out of their perimeter a lot. And in Holpe's case, his perimeter, you know, based on testing by sort of eye doctors, his perimeter is so off the charts, you understand why. So it, it's a fascinating, again, it, it's like the gear. There's no one answer. Right. That's what makes this position so awesome is there ever, there's never really one absolute answer to everything. It always. There's always little plays and barriers.
0: Feature interview coming up, uh, Turning Pro, uh, the advice of Eli Wilson, Eli Wilson goaltending, and Dylan Ferguson, who's uh, just recently... The last couple of years, a uh, turn pro, actually turn pro became a pro way before we ever uh, thought he would be in that uh, wild opening year with the Vegas Golden Knights. Uh, but before we get into the, the feature interview, what have you heard about the sight lines in the two hub arenas, Scotiabank Arena and Rogers Place? And uh, do you think it affected uh, the goaltenders at all in the initial go around? Or uh, did they have to get used to, to things a little bit? Because... Just their, the, the tarps uh, on in the rink.
1: Well, okay, so there's, this is an interesting one. Now, I actually, and it's funny because I actually asked Carter Hart the question on a Zoom call the day before they played. And I was just curious whether he'd gone in there and looked around and what he thought about how that would affect. it. And actually, I saw it referenced on the broadcast the next day, his answer that he had. Look to- at you influencing people. That, I know. We're trying, to, we're, trying to make, we're trying to go big time here, Darren. The whole Zoom thing means I can get, <laughs> get on these calls with all these goalies. I don't have to wait for them to come to Vancouver. The funny part, though, is I have to be careful what I ask because the NHL people won't call on me if I hop on there and ask a bunch of gear questions. So the funny part about that one, Darren, is I used the noggin. I asked him the sightline question, which which ends up on the NBC broadcast the next day, his answer. But I was actually just using the sightline question so I could follow up with a text message saying, you know, I really wanted to ask you about gear. And that's how I found out about the, that's when we started going back and forth on the whole practice stuff. So Wiley Veteran, uh, that's what I'd like to see when I'm surfing. I'm just old. When I'm playing the media game, I'm a Wiley Veteran and it worked out. Um what was the answer though? This, the answer was it was something that concerned him. He no. thought about it and yet the puck is on the ice. Like the puck is on the ice. Again, for for sort of head down and in front tracking guys, a lot of them look at the guys who are have their head up and they're like what you like why you checking out a girl in the third row cuz she's not there anymore. So, it's a tarp. Um it, it is interesting the background you talk to pros, it does matter a little bit, but for the most part The puck in the game is played from a goalie visual perspective below the dashers, Um, outside of like a you know a high arcing dump in from the other end or something like that. It doesn't really get up into the crowd that much, so I don't think it's going to be a huge effect. Full disclosure: um, I haven't had a chance to go through the Zoom call answers of other guys that have now played, and I'm expecting a few of them probably have answers. So I'll see if I can dig a few up in the meantime. But right now. I don't think it's going to be that big a deal, but certainly it's something that's on the minds of the goaltenders going into their first
0: games. Uh, check it out. Uh, we'll follow up on uh, Ingle Magazine, uh, Twitter account, uh, Instagram. Uh, oh, some great content uh, via Ingle, especially about uh, Carter Hart and the whole blocker thing. I was tracking that and uh, uh, wondering, wondering how you got that. And uh, that was uh, solid work on the Instagram account. So the feature interview this week uh, deals with Turning Pro. And this is David Hutchison uh, c- catching up with Eli Wilson, who uh, thankfully is uh, running his camps, uh, things have uh, progressed to the point where we're allowed to have some uh, some camps going. So uh, Eli Wilson goaltending and a longtime uh, goaltending coach, uh, National Hockey League professional goaltender juniors. Uh, he's watched goaltenders uh, come up through the ranks and uh, a lot of the conversation about how he's tutored and mentor goaltenders and then having a goaltender like Dylan Ferguson right there, who's gone through this, uh, and just in the last, uh, couple of years in this journey from being drafted to turning pro. So here is David Hutchison with Eli Wilson and Dylan Ferguson on In Goal Radio, the podcast.
2: So we're at the Eli Wilson Goaltending Prospects Camp in Edmonton, and, uh, I'm here. Eli is here obviously because it's his camp and he's hosting, uh, Twenty-four fantastic young goaltenders here, and one of them is a longtime friend of Ingall, Dylan Ferguson. And we thought we would have a conversation today, um, just about developing developing goaltenders. Dylan's had that experience of going from Bantam all the way up to the NHL in in a relatively short number of years recently. Uh, Eli's obviously developed all kinds of goaltenders for the Western Hockey League, for the National Hockey League, and uh, and has been a coach at the National Hockey League level. And we're here in a place which is trying to develop young goaltenders. We've got. Everything from a couple of high-end bantam draft hopefuls to a bunch of Western Hockey League goaltenders here who are hoping to be in the National Hockey League one day, uh, as Dylan has done. And uh, so we thought we'd have a conversation about development. So why don't we start, Dylan, back in bantam hockey? Um, what was that process like going from bantam to the Western Hockey League? What do you, what did you have to do? Do you think to to sort of get noticed and and then and then what, what did you find was uh, changed in your life as you went from minor hockey to w- what's almost professional hockey?
3: Yeah, I think um, I'm thinking back to like my first year at Bantam. I was in Nanaimo playing uh, tier three Bantam hockey. And, um, you know, after that year, I had a pretty good year. I got called up a couple of times, but I, I thought I, I felt like I could do more. So I got a great opportunity to go to Notre Dame and, um, I was there for three years and in that Bantam year, we had a strong team, guys like Dylan Dubay and guys like that. So, um, you know, I think, I think when you play on a team at a high level like that, you just really have to take advantage of it and be in the moment. So
2: a couple things I would pull out of that one is that you were playing tier three Bantam. And so nobody should be freaking out if they are playing tier three Bantam. Um, and Eli, we've had some conversations about what it takes to make that jump and, a lot of parents freak out. Am I on the right team at Adam Hockey? Did I go to the right tournament in Pee Wee? But you've told me before it sort of comes down to just a couple of small things.
4: Well, and I think one of the biggest things is guys think about so many other things that surround hockey and that are that are around hockey rather than the game itself and getting better at the game itself. And all those things that are happening outside the game um, are basically a distraction to your performance and your development. I found that over the years, the guys that have been able to persevere and pu- push through have really just focused on on improvement and performance not worrying about you know did i make this team or didn't i make the team they just they take it in stride and they push and they and they don't get distracted um by those type of
2: things and those type of things just pull you back of course not everybody has to be drafted we're talking about drafts but you've obviously played with some guys who didn't go through the bantam draft or didn't get selected and so any,
3: any thoughts for youngsters on that level Yeah. I mean, I think right away, I look at a guy who was my goalie partner, Connor Ingram, you know, he didn't get drafted in the WHL and, uh, you know, obviously he's, he's turned around and become a very good goaltender and, uh, you know, he represented our country and I learned a lot from him as well. And he, he's a very simple guy, you know, he keeps things straightforward. And I think a lot of people can learn from that. Yeah. Eli? Um, like my thoughts on the draft is,
4: uh, those scouts have a real difficult job, um, to do and picking goalies at that, or just players in general. We're talking about the Bantam Draft for the Western Hockey League. It's very, very difficult. Um, I would think uh, without looking at statistics, I I would think that it would be 50-50 of the players that actually get to play on the teams goaltender-wise that are drafted to the ones that, that aren't drafted. So to to get discouraged because you weren't drafted in the Bantam, Bantam draft is not, uh, not something that's conducive to improvement or making you a better goalie or even enjoying the game. I think people add so much pressure, both from a, a parenting standpoint and a goaltending standpoint about the, the draft, um, you know, that it, it, it causes so much pressure on that year, on that young goaltender, that may be the thing that stops them from performing at the level That he can to perform because we always got to remember you know goaltenders that are that are good and goaltenders that play well aren't always exactly the same thing so um tell me more about that well i think there's goaltenders with skill ability and all the things that it takes and and they don't play well and a lot of that has to do with pressure and not being able to stay in the moment and And not being able to manage your motions and and channel your energy to productive things, and uh, you know we've seen it, you know more and more now. You see a goaltender on the ice that has all the skills and abilities and all the tools to to be a top level goaltender. In your opinion, from a, a hockey school perspective or a practice perspective, and then you go and watch a game, and there's a goaltender at the other end with half the skill and half the ability that can outplay that goaltender. It's often where what's happening in the head and um those kind of things. So um I've been um around the bantam draft for twenty seasons and um I've seen a lot of a lot of kids get drafted. And I've seen a lot of kids heartbroken and not get drafted. I've seen a lot of kids that get drafted a few years later not playing the game at all. And I've seen kids that have weren't drafted uh still playing the game as as adults and and being able to make a a very good living at it um the the banham draft year it's a very very stressful year um for goalies and goalie families and and hockey across the board but it's one of those things too that that makes makes the game real exciting and you have to go through it and you have to be prepared um for the good and the bad in the game I, I i think there's so many guys that prepare for all the good stuff and when things don't go well they're not prepared for it and it's not looking at things from a negative standpoint it's like being prepared for for both whether it goes one way or the other and and moving always moving forward and they there, you know there's a saying that you know you need to learn how to lose before you're going to know how to win and and there's so many ways someone can look at that, but. It's one of those things that, to me, it really, really makes sense.
2: And not to dwell too, too long here on Bantam, because that's just the beginning, right? Like you said, three years at Notre Dame. Yeah. Yeah, it was a, it was a short three years as well. I, I had a quite a bit of fun there. <laughs> so, so what's it take to go from draft pick to actually starting in the Western Hockey League?
3: You know, Notre Dame, they really just kind of feeding off what Eli said. They really taught you how to be a person more, uh, as well as a goalie. And just kind of stay in the moment and um you know keep hockey away from your outside life and uh i think i think that was something that i held on to and um yeah i think my advice for young goalies trying to do the same thing is um you know when you're away from the rink keep your goals keep your focus but um don't lose it as well that's an interesting point you brought up because eli you've talked about that too where once you get to junior hockey
2: um, not everybody's on the same path. Not everybody even has the same goal, even if they think they sort of do. Um, talk to me a little bit of, about that advice for junior players, sir, as you move up.
4: Um, well, I, th- I think guys get to junior hockey and, and not everyone plays hockey for the same reason. Some some players are looking to do it as a, as a career and a profession. Uh, some players love it because of the camaraderie and they enjoy that part of it. Um, some guys play it because they're r- just good at it. Um, some players play it because they feel a lot of pressure from their families. Um, there's a number of reasons why guys are playing, and not everyone, when you get to junior hockey, is as serious as as sometimes from the outside world people think, and some people might not have the same goals in life. So some guys are moving in one direction, but it's just if, you, if you're you know, in the game to, to move on to the next level and play at the best of your ability, you really have to be smart about that and make good decisions and take care of yourself. And one thing that's important, I think, and, uh, you know, I talked to lots of young goaltenders about this is to, you know, role model some of the very best and see what they were doing when they were playing at those levels and, uh, see how serious and focused they were. and you know, I, I always tell kids like, when you're playing junior hockey, you want to be the guy that they're talking about in 10 years. I remember when Dylan Ferguson played on the Kamloops Blazers and he was first star every night and he was the hardest worker in practice and he was super serious and super competitive and you want to create that and you can, almost, you can almost push yourself forward 10 years and look back and self-create that. And you can, you know, kind of create a little bit of a legend yourself while you're there and you can take those actions and, and do that. And there's so many examples and so many great athletes in sports that you hear the stories about and those are the guys that you want to follow and, and do the type of things that they were doing at that level.
2: Great advice. How do you get to that point, Dylan, when you arrive as a, what were you, 15, 16 at your first camp? What, what's that like and who, who becomes an influence on you? Oh, yeah, this is just...
3: It's kind of cool. I feel like I'm learning and teaching at the same time here. Yeah. <laughs> um, but um no, I started. I came into the WHL when I was 17. Uh, I didn't make it my 16 year old year, but um you know, for me, that was almost a challenge because I didn't have as much time. I felt like to prove myself in that league, especially with uh, the goalie partner I had at the time, who was a great goalie, Connor Ingram. Again, um, you know, I think just like Eli said, it takes a lot of hard work and determination, and you got to keep that focus and you, you got to think about what people want to think about you kind of thing. And, um, you know, I remember just thinking back kind of uh, flashbacks of me just sitting there and this is who I want to be in this league and this is where I want to go with it. And, um, you know, I think you got to set a goal for yourself and really stick to it. And who were the influences on you in that first season or even the season
2: before when you're in camp for the first time? Who'd you look to?
3: You know, I kind of looked to the older guys right away. I kind I got kind of lucky with the 20-year-olds I had. They were all hardworking guys you know they didn't mess around too much off the ice and um you know i i had a great goalie coach there as well in uh Dan De Palma who um you know kind of took me under his wing and i think saw something in me and um helped me realize that as well and uh yeah you know i'm grateful for that i had i had my family behind my back too who uh they're always pushing me to be better in a really nice and respectful way so um yeah i think i think you just got to be grateful for those that want to help you and um yeah just keep your mind straight And a little plug for Dan,
2: that's great. We've actually got a presentation of his from the Western Hockey League Goaltending Symposium. we will be on for all our members at Ingle at some point. Um, Okay, so 17, so you got one year to prove yourself for the National Hockey League draft. What's that year like?
3: Um, My first year, I didn't play too much. You know, uh, one thing Dan told me is he knew I wasn't going to play much. So every single practice I was on, I had to take like my game. Cause I, you know, I, I had, a. there would be two months where I haven't played a game and then I get put in against one of the best teams in the league and expected to perform. And, um, you know, I actually liked that. Like I liked just, I felt like I was prepared every time I'd go on the ice and okay, I'm getting better. I'm just, I'm preparing for this. And, um, yeah, I think, that, I think that's just the biggest thing.
2: What kind of feedback do you give a goaltender in that situation, Eli? How do you keep them on top of things? How do you, do you evaluate practices as if they're games as, I mean sit down talk about them how do you keep them you know it's
4: it's a challenge um for a goaltender that's um sitting on the bench when they have an older goaltender and junior playing in front of them and they're playing all the games and um one of the biggest things that i stress um to young goaltenders is to avoid frustration frustration does one thing and it, it makes you perform poorly and it's about managing emotions, and, and some of those emotions are to push through um, what other people don't realize if they haven't been in your situation are very, very difficult times. Um, but you have an opportunity to not play games and practice like they're your games. So that's a really good point that Dylan made, and I've I've heard lots of guys look at it that way, but you can't look at it as a, as a negative that I'm not playing. You look at it as a positive, and get an opportunity to practice a lot and really measure yourself on a on a daily basis based on how you're performing on a daily basis in practice and how much you're improving and uh you know I don't think uh it's a huge thing not to I don't think it's a huge thing to not play a ton of games as a young goalie in the Western Hockey League I know they say all oh, the best thing is to play all the time you can get really good in in a practice in the Western Hockey League and when you get an opportunity it's your time to Time to perform. You can't be sulking and and worrying about I'm not playing. I'm not playing because sooner or later, you're going to be playing. And if you put your mind in a in a negative way or frustrated way, um, the chances of you being able to perform when you do get that chance are
2: not very good at all. We didn't say this at the outset, but you're the goaltending coach for the Tri City Americans in the Western Hockey League, and you sort of had the same situation this year, didn't you? You had a top twenty year old, and then you had a young young prospect as well. So. Do you guys sit down after games or after practices to evaluate his performance? How do you keep a young prospect going, Talon Boyko being the,
4: the you know, we, we, we talk about the same things that we're talking about now. I mean, it's it's a, it's a about improving and getting better. And, uh, you know, uh, an NHL sc- scout, his scouts have called me on numerous goalies in the Western Hockey League over the over the years that I've been involved in. And they never asked me how good the goalie is because they always have a An opinion on how good the goalie is they one question that comes up a lot is how much they're improving and you know i I don't really care how good you are right now i I care about how much you're improving because if you continue to improve and work at your game every day you're going to push it as far as possible anyways um for me to predict where you're going to end up is that's not my job my job with that goaltender is to make them better every single day and things sometimes are tough with with, the, with young goaltenders and uh, it can be emotional and it can be frustrating and it can be all of those things, um, but you need to make it about improvement and give them examples and, and, and be in their corner and, and push them when they really need to be pushed. And you know, there's a lot of situations with young goalies where they have a, have a coach uh, that, they, that might not communicate, communicates to the team great and does a really good job, there's a chance where, you know, you have a lot of guys that you're dealing with that are in the lineup on a regular basis that as a head coach that they're more your priority. And anyone would handle it that way. So as a goalie coach, you've only got two guys to worry about and or not worried about, but work with. And if one guy's playing all the games, you support him and keep him going and the other guy's not, you gotta support him and keep him going with that as well. Um, so it's it can it can be tough, and if you're you're mentally tough enough, and you're prepared to do it, and you're honestly prepared to do it, um, you'll be fine. And if you think you, you know, if you're a little bit soft and not able to push through, not being able to play for a month or two, or or not being able to bounce back, it's going to be really difficult. Um, there's a lot of good goalies out there, and sometimes it's uh, eat you up and spit you out. A league if if you're not mentally strong enough to work through it.
2: Fergie you obviously were um, you're in that tough situation and then ultimately heard your name called at the NHL draft. Just tell me a little bit more though about that 17 year old season and, and how that works I mean I know in some cases a, a scout will be in the building and will want to talk to you after the game or maybe you get some questionnaires you have to fill out ahead of the draft
3: or, or is it all in a vacuum sometimes how, how did it work for you? Yeah so I think just going back to what I said about taking my practices, like games was, was a big thing for me. I I didn't know when I was going to get my opportunity, but I knew I was going to get it. And, um, you know, I still remember the GM at the time came down and said, okay, uh, the starters going to world juniors, we're going on a road trip. Uh, it's, it's your time. And that's, that's what I said to him. And, um, you know, right in that moment, I just remembered all the work I put in, um, you know, this is what I wanted and I'm getting it now. So let's go make the best of it. And, um, you know I, I made myself proud as well, and uh, you know I worked really hard for that, and um, yeah the, uh, the scouts coming in was was a cool thing. I, I remember that, and um, you know I didn't try to let it get to me at the time. It was, uh, it was exciting for sure, but at the end of the day, I had to go and play games while he was away, and uh, I felt like I did that, and yeah, it just again, it really comes down to me being focused and setting goals and keeping my head straight and leading into the draft, did you have any feeling for? for what might happen I mean it's hard not to um, you know I, I set my alarm for 8 a.m. and I think I woke up at 6 that day and went over to the house and made myself breakfast um, you know I, I didn't really know what to expect it was you know I have people telling me this people telling me that me looking at this and that but um, you know at the end of the day you don't know what's gonna happen and that's, that's why I think I just stayed in the moment and you know uh, when my name got called it was, it was a great feeling and uh, it's something I'll never forget. Was that a total surprise or did you get a hint before? Um, it was so the day before I, I think I got ranked at like eighty or something and then I dropped down obviously to I think it was like one ninety six. But for me it, it didn't matter. Um, you know, even to just get your name called in uh in that draft was was a dream come true for me. And um, you know, I think I think maybe even being picked later than I maybe anticipated was just the most motivation I've had. And and I just, I used that to keep going. And then you became like the number one fan of one team and then very quickly changed your allegiances to another one. What, what happened there? Yeah, that's a pretty crazy story actually. Um, so Dallas, I got drafted by Dallas and their camp was a week later than Vegas's camp. So I, me and a couple of my buddies booked a fishing trip actually uh, just up Island in Campbell River. And um, so we were getting packed up to go there. We were at Cabela's. And i get a call from a from a texas number and i answer it was the gm of the dallas stars just congratulating me on the draft and then um 30 seconds later he told me i got traded to vegas so i missed i missed the first day uh vegas camp (laughs) and um you know that night i got uh i got a ferry to vancouver i had a flight the next morning and i was on the ice that day in vegas and um you know it all happened so fast and uh, it was, it was quite the whirlwind and I'm happy I could go there and perform the way I did. Wow. Talk about seizing your opportunity. We'll yeah. get to that in a minute. And
2: thankfully for you, that move happened. Um, can you talk to us a little bit about, about how the game changes as a goaltender from, I mean, let's not jump too far back to Bantam, but that's part of it. And then what's it look like for you in the Western league? And then gosh, your first, first NHL camp too.
3: Yeah, I think there's, there's similarities and differences. I mean, obviously, um, Banham, everyone's around the same age and then uh, when you get into the WHL you know I was a young 16 17 year old kid playing with 20 year olds and I think um, I think the biggest thing for me is I just wanted to learn and learn the way of the game the way of the league you know how it operated and then uh, you know when I got that call up I was at Boston Pizza after the game with uh, with a few of the guys just enjoying a meal this is the call up to yeah, the, NHL, to the team. NHL yeah during the season um, during the season yeah about halfway through and um you know my phone started buzzing and I looked down and it was it was Vegas calling and I was watching the game I saw Oscar dance go down and um you know a part of me couldn't believe what was happening and but that's you know as I wasn't really focused on that you know I just wanted to keep playing and be in the moment and um sometimes we get opportunities like this and you know I went there and worked my bag off like I kept my head down and just worked and um you know I think I think that's the biggest thing, even going into the WHL. um, The biggest thing in each league is you just got to keep your head down and work and learn and uh, just keep moving forward.
2: What does that mean, Eli? Keeping your head down and working at each level? Because I think probably 95% of the goaltenders out there probably think they work hard. What does it really mean to be that hardworking goaltender when you get there?
4: Well, one of the things that's come up and, and... We've been talking a little bit about is you know you got to push, you got to work hard, and you got to be focused, and you got to learn the game. But you know, I think we kind of forgot one of the most important things is that you have to have fun and enjoy it. Um, when you're when you're not when you're not playing, and we're going back a little bit when you're not playing for a month in the Western Hockey League as a young goaltender, and you start not to have fun, it becomes a very difficult thing. So you really need to make sure that you're really enjoying what you're doing. Even though there are going to be challenging times, you need to you need to enjoy it. Um, so I think that's really important for for uh, young goaltenders, and you know goaltenders who are a little bit older. Um, like we're talking about the Bantam draft, it could be super stressful. But my one of my pieces of advice is you, you need to really enjoy that season and not get stressed out about it or too worried about it. Just enjoy it because you're only going to get that opportunity once because it's limited to. Second year pan and players only you don't get that chance again, so enjoying enjoying the process is 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 very important, and when you enjoy it um the hard work is enjoyable and I think that hard work um it needs to be detailed hard work it needs to be hard work with with uh with a purpose um and goaltending is such a focus uh, position. you can't just be hard working and and push your yourself physically as hard as you can, although that's part of it, it needs to be done with, with detail and purpose, which I think is, uh, you know, sort of answering your question of what, what that looks like, doing things right, doing things uh, consistently, all the things that we do every day to
2: to try and be better, um, you know, that's part of working hard.
3: Berkey, what's hard work to you? I think Eli nailed it right on the head, honestly. Um, you know, I think I really liked when he said, that, you know, when hard work becomes enjoyable. And I think, again, going back to the WHL in my first year, um, it really did become enjoyable for me. And I think when my opportunity came, I, I had no doubt in my mind I would have been just fine because of that. And, um, you know, I, I don't really have much else to say about that. I, I really think he covered all of it. But, uh, yeah. What did you see when you got to the National Hockey League? That was... uh. I was in shock for sure. You know, I I was on a red eye flight, got got to New York at six a.m. and um, my first time on NHL ice was in Madison Square Garden. So that that's something again. I'll just I'll never forget. And um, you know, I think I think being there just motivated me that much more to get back there. Um, you know, it's even talking about it now. It's I'm kind of still speechless about it. But were you there for game day skate or straight to warm up? Um. So I got there. Around 8 a.m., I was on the ice for warm up. I was, I was, I was the backup goalie. So it, it, uh, it's it's amazing how hard everyone works there too. Like every, again, what Eli said, they all enjoy themselves. They're all having fun, but when they're on the ice, they still have fun. But you can tell their determination and hard work and their consistency. It's, it's obvious. First shots, first shot. I,
2: whether it's the first shots you faced in your first Western League camp or in your first NHL camp or gosh that first warm-up what's going through your head
3: a lot um I was pumped up I was, I was fired up and maybe a little too fired up you know I didn't really know what to expect but uh, a part of me just wanted to calm down and trust my game uh trust everything I've done to get to this point and uh you know after after the first day or two you know I, I really think I did that and you know I listened to what the goalie coach there had to say and Dave uh, Pryor Dave Pryor yeah. yep and uh yeah, he's a great guy. He 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 kind of took me under his wing, understood the whole situation, and I think saw What's something. What's he say to you me. in that first conversation? If you could remember, I don't think he said much. Just kind of like, welcome. This is this is what we do here. This is who we are. To make you feel at home. Yeah, I like the team was great. There wasn't one guy that made me feel uncomfortable. You know, they really they were all nice and um. Yeah, I mean, like like I said, I'm really speechless about it because just just the way they all treated and. You don't know what to expect when you get to that stage. And, um, you know, I just tried to stay in the moment, understand where I was and take it all in if I could. When the
2: first shots are coming, are you thinking, all right, I play with some guys who can shoot hard and I'm good. Or is it, oh my gosh, I can't believe every guy can shoot harder than the guy in the Western league. What are you thinking?
3: How do you evaluate it? I, they definitely shoot harder yeah. and they can shoot more precisely. Yeah. But, um, you know, I'd, the summer before, i trained with some NHL players, just uh, getting on the ice with them. Nice. Guys like Matter, went in Victoria yeah. and uh, Tyson Bailey. And um, yeah, I mean, I kind of knew what to expect. But yeah, again, I just kind of let myself get into a zone where I wasn't really thinking and do the best I could. Well, that's a great
2: point you've brought up. I think even today, Eli, if you're going to be a goaltender, you got to be able to out, go out there and stop thinking about everything, mm-hmm. keeping it simple.
4: Well, I think too is like your expectations of yourself is is another thing that that that's super important. We have so many things that are they're important as goalies, and and simplifying a thing that is kind of complex in some senses is is, is challenging. But uh, I think expectations of yourself to stop pucks and 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 doesn't matter who's shooting at you. The mindset going in, I'm not. It's not oh, I'm facing an NHL shooter. It's like this guy is shooting on me I'm, I'm ready for the puck I don't care what happens and if you have that that mindset you're giving yourself a way better chance just looking at it that way then what's this going to be like like it's
2: you know you're, you're just you're just ready did you did you experience anything similar I mean this this is a bit of a crazy situation where you're going junior to NHL in one night but as a coach in the National Hockey League what what was the Sort of a similar experience you've been through with an athlete.
4: You know, I've I've been there for for a goalie that's played his first NHL game. And uh, this is a really interesting story because um, 10 years prior to that is when I started coaching. That goaltender happened to be one of my first students. Okay. And 10 years later, um, he was playing in Binghamton and I was coaching in Ottawa. And we called him up. Um who who is it we're talking Mike about? Mike Broder. Okay. And uh we we called him up and 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 you know our, our general manager and our coach didn't feel that he could play in the NHL and watching him in practice. And we had a plan to get to to start him against um New Jersey. Um and it was the, the general manager at the time says we we're not doing it now. He cha- he actually the general manager actually Made the coaching staff not do that because he felt that we were going to get too much attention on it playing Broder against Broder and uh, and he felt that Mike wasn't an NHL goalie already. So um, we were in New Jersey and the first puck on net was a rim and it wasn't on him. He was on the bench, but he was supposed to play that game. It was a rim. It hit a stanch and went right in the back of the net as our goaltender was behind the net and things went from bad to worse and it sort of got to the point where he, you know we kind of got upset as an organization and we're going to play him the next game no matter what happened uh, against uh Minnesota so it was he was playing and and I told him when he was 16 years old or 17 years old if he works hard enough he play in the NHL and had an opportunity to watch him play against Minnesota in his first game in the NHL and, and get uh first star in that game so Um, you know, kind of a similar thing where I knew the kid for a long period of time. And, you know, he was a little bit older and not probably expected to make the NHL at that time. So, you know, he's just thrown into the fire and did a, did a, did a great job for us in that game. How
2: did you, how did you get him ready for that when he first arrives?
4: When, uh, called him up, it was just a a week of practice or whatever the case was. I can't remember. For sure, it was due to due to an injury and 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 maybe lack of performance by somebody. But he he was called up and just basically did the same thing. And practices are going to be hard. We're going to work as hard as we possibly can. And I remember having the conversation with him. He goes, "Like I thought this league was going to be good, but I didn't think it was going to be this good." I said, "You better be ready, like just you know." And then we just went to the basics and 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 all that
2: kind of stuff but i knew he was a gamer when he get an opportunity he would he would perform so you laughed there as you were hearing that that obviously resonates with you a little bit
3: fergie yeah um you know it's it's kind of cool hearing stories like that because i'm kind of sitting here thinking remembering what i went through and um yeah you know i i myself got an opportunity to go into a game not start one but um you know, again, it was kind of a, a shortened edition of what I had to go through through the WHL, where I just kept my head down and worked and waited for an opportunity. And that opportunity came, and I, I did my best to make the most of it at the time. How can you describe to somebody? Because
2: cause we've heard, I mean, yes, they shoot harder. Yes, they're more accurate. Um, we've heard other people tell us, you know what, making that jump from the American League to the NHL, the game almost gets easier. Um, so so can could you describe for us what the different levels are like at all
3: um i think i think the biggest thing for me was just the speed of the game how fast things happened and um it doesn't give you a lot of time to think you know you're not supposed to be thinking while you're in there anyway but um yeah like when i got in there and i saw Connor mcdavid coming down from the other and he's in your face in three seconds you know th- things are happening quick and um you know that's really just where all your training all that hard work kind of just has to take over and you just okay this is where i am this is what i got to do and i'm going to do it to the best of my ability but uh the difference through the leagues for me is it's it's kind of a tough question because i think i think i'm going to say structure and just speed of the game is the right. biggest difference mm-hmm. that's so speed of the game
2: makes it harder for you does the structure make it easier for you I think the speed actually... And, and, and I'm not asking you to yeah. say, oh, the NHL is easy, because it's not. No, it's not. It's, it's, not, it's the best but, league in the world. Of <laughs> course. But we're, we're just trying to give people a concept of what, of what you're experiencing there.
3: Um, I, think, I think it makes it easier to read some things. You know, there's not so many unexpected things that are going to happen. I think, obviously, the players at that level they are all, they're all the best, and they know their job, and they know what to do. And I think, yeah, the structure of the game definitely... I wouldn't say it makes it easier but it makes it smoother. If that, if that makes sense. Um, you know, like reeds coming off the wall, You, you can see it's, it's hard to explain, but, um, yeah, that's, that's really all I got. Well, what's it like when you go back to the Western league then? That, that was a, that was a big difference. And that was, um, something I definitely thought about on that flight back because I actually, the day I got back, I started against the Vancouver giants that night um don Hay was the coach at the time he gave me a call and said yeah you're going tonight and i said okay let's let's go Mm -hmm. um you know obviously my confidence was was high and um i think like i knew how to play in that league and that that was that was my belief going into that game we won that game i think three two um you know i remember those few couple days and yeah the game in slow motion (sighs) not really not really honestly no It, it uh It was kind of like I just jumped back right in and nothing really happened at that point. And, um, you know, after the game, I kind of took my time to think about it. And, you know, it's crazy how fast things can happen. But, um, you know, I think something I learned being there even more was just that you just got to trust yourself and trust all that work you've been through. And, um, yeah.
2: Eli, what what do you have to tell us about the differences between the leagues? You've coached at all these levels. And what do you see?
4: I really see it as the same game. You know, I, I, you know, I spent time working in the American Hockey League um, and at the, basically at the same time as working in the NHL. I had both positions as an American League coach and NHL coach. So um, the guys that were successful goaltenders in the American Hockey League were the same to me as the goaltenders that were successful in the National Hockey League. They went into work every day they expected um, results from themselves and, and they worked. Um, the game itself, you know, they talk about the American Hockey League being more broken plays and all that type of stuff, but you got to remember the, the the worst player in the American Hockey League or on an American Hockey League team is as is, is good as the best player in the league that you just came from. So it's not that sloppy. Um, and um, same thing when you go to the, when you go to the National Hockey League, the best player in the American Hockey League isn't as good as the bottom player on in a lot of situations. So the game itself is a great level of hockey: Major Junior, Major College, East Coast Hockey League, American Hockey League, NHL. All of it is good hockey, and um, you know I think really the difference is is when you go up to the National Hockey League. There's some guys that put the league on a pedestal and you can't cuz you can't achieve it but if it's if you expect that you're going to go there and perform well and play well then you give yourself a very good chance of being a good goaltender on that level so um a lot of it comes down to to the mental side and 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 you know not necessarily how you prepare or how you how you do those things but basically how you see it you know is this something that you know, hopefully I can play in the NHL, or is this something, you know, if I work hard enough, I'm gonna give myself a chance, or is your mindset, I'm gonna play in the NHL. And I've seen it for a long time, that the guys that get there and and, and play well and have careers, it it they didn't put it up here. It was just on the way
2: to where they were going and they, they achieve it, expect to, to be there.
3: You're nodding a lot, Fergie, it's all resonating. <laughs> yeah no i'm I'm agreeing with a lot of the things that he's saying, and uh yeah resonating is a good way to put it as well, and you know he, I, he's he's right about all of that and in in my mind even now i I see myself playing in the n h l and that's i think how he said putting it on a pedal stool is is a really good point where kind of got to put yourself on a pedestal as well if, if you think that's on a pedestal and you just really got to be in the moment and focus on what you're doing and getting better and um so
2: you you go back to junior and boys probably want you to pick up the tab on a few pizzas every now and then because you made a few bucks right yeah you're not wrong
3: <laughs> <laughs> um
2: what's the relationship between you and your nhl team while you're in junior
3: um it was good you know i think I think I got a pretty cool opportunity to sign out of camp and after the trade and all that. And, um, you know, for me, that, sh- that showed me that they had a lot of belief in me as as a young prospect coming through and, you know, everything that happened. And, um, you know, I stayed in touch with with Dave quite a bit. Uh, we talk about games. He, he never made a trip down. He just couldn't with the scheduling and everything. It's crazy first year, obviously, for yeah. them. But um, Was that just him checking in every now and then? How's yeah, it going? And, yeah, and same, same with the, uh, the assistant goalie coach at the time, Mike Rosati. He, he'd check in a little more and I got a great relationship with him as well. And, um, you know, the biggest thing that they told me is, is just they really wanted to emphasize the way that they wanted me to play. And when I figured out the median of that and um, still having fun the way I can play, and I think, I think it was a perfect mix for that year and uh, it was it was a lot of fun can you tell us what that message from them was in terms of how they wanted you to play yeah they, this when i got into the league I, I felt like i was jonathan quick kind of thing where i was just sliding all over the place trying to make these saves and they they just wanted me to calm down a bit and even what eli teaches here at these camps is let the puck come to you and um you know be patient patience was a big thing for them and i think that took my game to the next level um you know just trusting my hands trusting my eyes and um yeah, I think I think that was a huge thing for my career. I gotta bet Dan was telling you to do the same thing before
2: that, though. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So is it is it having that glimpse of what it's like at the next level sort of convince you as a youngster? Okay, maybe these guys are right. Um, meaning seeing how much tougher the game is when you get up there, and you might be okay. I I can't chase it because I.
3: Yeah, I think, I think I put a lot of trust in them. You know, they're there for a reason, and um, you know, I wanted to be the goalie that. Obviously, you want to be the goalie that your coach wants you to be. And, um, you know, I, I really tried to input that into my game. And I felt like, again, I found a good median where, you know, I was making everyone happy. And, and that was a big thing for me. And, and including myself, you know, I felt my game was at a good level. And it's just the way it went. Yeah, you've been on both sides of the coin here. How's, how's that relationship work between
2: the NHL staff and 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 the junior staff and the development of a young goaltender.
4: Well, in, when, I was, when I was coaching the National Hockey League, we, we drafted Robin Leonard, who this was before um, they banned Europeans and all kinds of stuff in the, in the CHL. And we actually drafted him before he got drafted to the OHL. So he was drafted to the NHL before he was drafted to the OHL. And then he went to the Sioux. And I I would keep in, you know, right when I started working with him, he was really receptive to the way I wanted him to play. It was, you know, a lot of things in common. And, you know, I would try and have a conversation with him once a week over the phone and, you know, not that they would come. I couldn't travel outside of really my responsibilities with the team to see him, although um, he came, Ottawa played at home on Sundays at 67, so... Had an opportunity to see him basically play once in in uh in junior hockey um live lots of times on 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 video so you know the relationship is basically just keeping in touch and 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 creating a little bit of relationship with the goalie and and finding out where he's where he is and you know sometimes guys have questions and you're there to answer the questions and give them some advice
2: and some encouragement. And, and in terms of with their junior coaches as well, how do you, how do you manage that? Cause are, are you up well, on the same page in terms of development needs? Well,
4: or? I, I would have never talked to his goalie coach. I would have just kept the conversation between him and I, and I, I wouldn't give him too much advice from, from a phone call unless, you know, he asked something and, you know, from a technical standpoint, um, he was obviously a, dynamite junior goaltender and he was really good so i didn't feel that he needed a ton of help and support other than what they were what they were doing there so i didn't feel that i needed to step on uh, step
2: step up and, and and start working with him from afar did your team do that beyond the goaltending experience i mean are you getting training advice from the team have do they have
3: expectations for you that they're sharing with you um just kind of remembering back Rosati did come a few times and him and dan actually had a pretty good relationship so i'd I'd hear a lot of stuff through dan from mike and um just check-ins and things like that and how am i playing is he improving on this and um you know i I think it was a it was a good little relationship that they had there that that helped me and dan to to make me the goalie that they they wanted me to be essentially as well as his dan's he has a, a little bit of different way of coaching, but, but not too much. It's, it's all the, kind of the same. But um, yeah, you know, I think, I think I got pretty lucky to have that NHL coach to junior coach relationship where there was a good median and I, I learned a lot from that. So now, what's next in terms of development? You've,
2: you've played in the East Coast League for a year. Had, you've had a cup of coffee in the American League as well, right? Mm-hmm. Um, wh- what's the next few years look like for you in terms of how, how are you going to make those steps?
3: I I think for one just being at these camps is is a big step you know I think I think you got to take a look in the mirror sometimes and really decide what you want to do with some things and um, you know I I think it's obvious my year last year in the coast wasn't the year that I completely wanted to have and you know those things happen sometimes and I think I think a lot of the things that I had engraved in my head kind of got away from me a bit and um, you know it was a little too late when I realized it you know this pandemic and everything started I started winning games I started playing more And, um, you know, it's you can't take anything for granted and you got to stay in the moment and and learn from your mistakes. And I think uh, the little saying there, you got to you got to lose to learn how to win. And, um, you know, that was something that I actually saw quite a few months ago when uh, when I kind of realized and got out of that little bit of a slump I was going through. And um, since then, I've been really determined to get back on that, that Dylan Ferguson kind of goaltending, so Mm -hmm. it's it's good. Yeah, kudos to you, because because I know we see
2: a lot of pros who are sort of on their own and might be out playing a bit of shinny with the boys or whatever, and hoping that I mean even even at the professional level that still happens. And and you've taken charge and you're working with Eli and some other coaches just to try and try and raise your game as best you can on your own. Because I think you told us tonight, Eli, your best goalie coach is yourself. Well I just think that if you
4: you, you got to know the position understand the position and be able to watch video and 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 see what you're doing right or wrong or what you could be doing better or more efficient and uh that comes from having a a real clear understanding of of the game and of your own game and uh you know sometimes you're 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 there on your own and and you need to you know have have some of those answers and look at it and make those decisions yourself and and, you know, your goalie coach can't make saves for you. You got to make them for yourself and, and you got to buy into it and, 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 and push forward with that. I, I find guys that, that are good prospects and good goalies and they get to a point where they think, I'm a good goalie.
2: This is going to work. No, you're a good goalie and you have to work. And I've seen that.
4: You know, I'm not gonna say dozens, but I'm gonna say a dozen times of guys that had an opportunity to play in the National Hockey League and they quit moving forward and it stopped them from being a a player. You gotta you gotta you gotta buy into the idea that you gotta work as long and as hard as possible and it works out. Can't think I'm good, it's all on right track, if I just keep this the way it is and hold this, it's gonna happen because it, it can for some goaltenders and it has, but for most of us, we need, to, we need to continue to work, continue to get better and continue to really grind at it to, to accomplish our goals. And
2: that's great advice because whether it's peewee hockey in Nanaimo or the East Coast League or the American League, there's a lot of time you're on your own. I think a lot of, a lot of parents sort of expect, to be a goaltending coach holding your hand all the way through, but that's not the case, is it, Bill?
3: No, um, you know, I think in the American League, it's, it's a little different. They they have a guy there, but he's not there all the time. And uh, while I was in the Coast, I think I had a goalie coach maybe once every one or two months. So it's, um, yeah, just going back to Eli, I said, you got to be your own coach, and it's, that's the best coach you can really have. And, uh, you know, what you feed yourself and teach yourself is, is going to be what you turn into. So, yeah. How do you be your own coach? I think, I think you need to understand yourself and the situation you're in. And, um, I mean, are you pouring through video? Are you, how do you
2: evaluate what you're doing? Like, what does that look like to be your own coach at at your age?
3: I think, I think video is a big thing. I think when you look at your own video, you see more than you do while you're in there a hundred percent. And, um, that was something that I really started to pick up more and really focus on and I'd go through my really good games and my not so good games and figure out why I didn't physically have have a have as well of a game and um I think I think video for me has been been a huge help I love that's been an evolution I mean I've been
2: working with Eli for seven eight years now and and to see the the video come in and now it's sort of an automatic that a lot of the the more driven goaltenders will come off a drill and can i see my can i see my video can i look at this so i i know what i need to do next time they're in the net right i think i think it's huge you get the different perspective from the camera and
4: have a chance to see you know a lot of people think they're 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 working hard and doing things right until they see it through a camera and it's not exactly what they thought they looked like and um you know the 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 video doesn't uh it doesn't lie and it's it's a chance to to evaluate yourself and and evaluate yourself in a positive way and 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 see your mistakes and and what you could be doing better. Um, and good question about Dylan asking him. You know how do you coach yourself? It's like you're in in the American Hockey League or you're in the East Coast Hockey League or or junior hockey, and you got an opportunity to go on the ice early and work on some things. That's coaching yourself. Um, a lot of goaltenders that I work with that are, that are really good, they're able to identify when things aren't going well, what's happening. And they're able to do that quickly. Guys that aren't student of a game and don't understand, they don't know why they're not playing well. Things have to start happening a different way for them to turn their game around. You can't be a professional. You need to have very short periods of time where you don't play well. And turn that around as quickly as possible. um There aren't very many goaltenders in the National Hockey League that have more than a one or two bad games in a row. They, it just it, it can't happen. Those those are called not NHL goaltenders. So so, so you need to self evaluate, and sometimes because our what our job is to make saves, which is the funnest posi- funnest thing to do in the game, um and and, and not coming up with saves can be probably the hardest thing in the game. So you need to identify why why that's happening and and make the corrections and the adjustments that you need to in in a very
2: quick way to be be a professional because it's about being consistent. Fergie, I hope I don't put you on the spot too much here, but can you identify those things for for you for when it's going
3: well? There was definitely a time where I couldn't, and um, you know I think that that goes back to last year where I I didn't have someone there to tell me. And, you know, it's it's just me being honest where um, I went through that, where I I, I didn't understand why I wasn't playing well. And then it came to a point where I realized, I'm like, okay, I really need to start coaching myself here and turning this around. And um, again, I really felt like I did that towards the end of the year. And that's something I'm not going to go back to again. And, you know, I feel grateful for myself to be able to learn that and just kind of pick up on it and start working on the little things like getting out early on the ice and watching the video and understanding why this is happening and what am I going to do to change it so when I'm on the ice next game, it's not gonna happen again. Is it a technical thing that makes things tough for you? Is it a mental thing? Is it both? Um, You know, there's an old saying that goaltending is 90% mental. And um, you know, I think, I don't know if it'd be exactly 90%, maybe a little less, but I think uh, everything's powered by your head. And you got you to gotta keep it in a good state. And I think just understand yourself. And yeah. A bit of a
2: tradition here. Woody always ends up with one last question after he's told people we're just about done. But here's my one last question for both of you. We're here with a group of pretty high-end goaltenders um, sort of verging on the next step. Uh, if this was a camp of Adam and Peewee kids, what what piece of advice would you give to them today?
3: That's a good question. You know, I think... I think the biggest thing for me growing up and just learning from so many different people, the same message was just know yourself, know what you want to do. And again, just be in the moment and work hard and have fun doing it. And that's, that's a message that I've been receiving since I was that little nine-year-old kid. And um, that's something that I'm not going to let go of. Okay, I'll come back to you
2: on that same one, but I have to ask you because you just tweaked it in my mind. Here's a real one more question.
3: Okay. <laughs> What's it like being in the room with Andre Fleury? I wanted to bring it up yeah that guy has more fun than anyone I've ever seen play hockey and I think it goes back to what Eli was saying is he works so hard and has so much fun doing it and you know he was one of the guys that I got up there that just instantly like you're starstruck to see him you you don't know. know what to expect and um a little behind the scenes but we were out for dinner the whole team and I got a little shoe check from Mark and uh, that's, that's that's just the type of guy he is. He wants to make you feel comfortable. And um, sorry, what sorry, tell us what that's <laughs> about. Yeah. So um, he kind of came over to the table. I was sitting at, um, I could tell that it was planned. Like it was, and uh, I was sitting there. I can't remember who I was sitting beside and um, everyone started banging their glasses and uh, everyone looked at me. My face just went like beet red. I didn't know what was going on. And one of the guys beside me said, check your shoe, bud. And the whole glob of horseradish on my shoe, and I had to show everyone. And um, you know, in that moment, it was embarrassing at the time, but I feel like it was something that during that time made me feel like I was part of the team. And you know, he's just that kind of guy. He's a leader in the dressing room, on and off the ice. He has a lot of fun, and um, he's definitely a guy that I strive to be like. What a great experience! Yeah,
2: absolutely. <laughs> okay, Eli, your 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 bit of advice for the Pee and Adams.
4: Build skill, ability. Build skill. Work as hard as you possibly can, and and really enjoy it. Um, and and follow the system. You know, we we make this. You know, being a good goaltender is a lot of fun. Being not a good goaltender is not very much fun. And I think if you follow a system and build the technique and the skill, um, a person can advance a lot further, a lot quicker than a lot of people think you can if you simplify it. So. You know, all our camps are the same. Um, whether I'm working with a goaltender, as you know, that's you know an Adam level hockey, or 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 the Western Hockey League, I'm doing a lot of the same things and creating a lot of the same habits because I want my ten year olds to play the position the same as I do the nineteen year old kids that that we work with. Um, another thing when we're talking um, about you know self coaching, we have these notebooks at our camps and. If you if you put all the things together in the system that that we teach here in a checklist form, you can watch all your video and you can simply just go through and find out what's working and what you're doing right and what you're doing wrong and 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 self evaluate and then start to get a knack of of that and become a real st- student of the game. So I think that's important for for young goaltenders to to know and 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 goaltender uh, and, you know basically any goaltender to to follow that that system it's it's easier to, to follow a system than you know move all
2: over the place so I think that's that's important for young goaltenders and old goaltenders perfect great great note to end on Eli thank you um, best of luck with the rest of the, the summer of the camps Bergie, thanks for your time and best of luck in the journey and we'll see you on the ice again soon I'm sure
3: appreciate it thank you thanks a lot
0: That was a cool conversation because you have Hutch, the dad who of a promising young goaltender, uh, Dylan Ferguson, the goaltender that's experienced everything so much uh, and can reflect on, on his experiences. And the mentor, our Yoda and Eli Wilson, uh, Eli Wilson goaltending. It was, it was interesting to sort of hear Dylan say exactly what he said, exactly what he said so many times through that conversation, referring to what Eli had to uh, summarize.
1: Well, and uh we had to put Hutch to work Not Right, all, like see, some guys just go to the beach on their vacation. Hutch goes to Edmonton and we make him do work while he's there. He's been working the whole time, so thanks to him for making that interview happen while he was there, and you're right, there's a lot of good little insights there that uh you know again i th- I think there's some insights there that they it may be about turning pro um but you can start to develop pro mentality and pro habits early on um you know, especially coming up into junior that will benefit you once you get there. So I don't think you ne- necessarily need to be turning pro to benefit from that
0: interview. And you don't have to be at the highest level. You, the route is different uh, from the Island to Wilcox, Saskatchewan and uh, the Notre Dame hounds and uh, awesome. And I loved how Dylan said, I just, I had fun. I had fun. And the rest of it kind of came together around that, but uh, having fun is still a uh, part of it.
1: If you've watched him play, he has fun. He's, he's, there's a, there, there's a, there's, there's a looseness to his game sometimes, but there's, a, there's an athleticism and a reactionary element there that you can see why teams were interested in him. You can see what would attract teams. He has that other level that a lot of goalies will have the structure, but maybe not that next piece above it. He has all that pieces above it
0: already. It's funny how the guys that are really loose. I feel seem to get uh, stigmatized or punished or held against them more than the guys that are super focused. And there's there's yin and yang to that. There's uh, ham and egg. And uh, yeah, if, and if you're too loose, too. yeah, you're uh, you're right. a little too aloof or technically, uh, you're 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 uh, you're not structured enough. Well, maybe you're just a natural athlete. You, you, that's the way you play. And I think it's coming back more uh, that that you're allowed to play a little looser. But
1: yep. Just no, no, absolutely, and I think we've we've heard that from. He goes back to Bill Ranford in in the webinar talking right. about it. You know, yeah. seeing more of how he used to play being necessary in the game today.
0: I miss our Billy Ranford time. We got to get some more. Yeah, we got to get some more. You and I and Billy, we're like a three man wolf pack. Uh, thanks to uh, Dylan Ferguson. Speaking of uh, three man wolf packs, uh, Dylan Ferguson, Eli Wilson, and David Hutchison for that uh, great conversation, and thanks to you for listening. Uh, We've uh, gone through the pause. You guys have been uh, along for the great ride, all the goaltenders and the parents uh, of all ages, uh, men and women, boys and girls. And uh, we've uh, loved uh, your participation in the webinars. And uh, now we get to watch some hockey and we get back to
2: training.
1: Well, and we should have some more NHL guests on the podcast in the next couple of weeks because we're not the only ones who are getting back into hockey. There's a a lot of guys who unfortunately aren't playing right now, but are in the league. And they're watching it, and they're jonesing, and that means they want to talk about it. So we've got a few guys lined up who, like I said, uh, not 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 actually playing right now, but they're in the show, and uh, we're gonna catch up with them and, and and get their opinion on what they're seeing as the games get started, as well as how they're handling what
0: is essentially the longest off season of anybody's career. If you play for one of those seven teams, expect a call. We're, we're coming for you. Oh, and I love all the looks of the uh, the Seattle Kraken. And the different color schemes that have been out there on social media. So keep those coming. Ooh,
1: yes. Some great I combination. Was, as a West Coaster, I like, I know a lot of people think Kraken's a little cheesy. I've heard that, but I loved it. I was, I was so glad they went that way and went bold. Um, besides, I mean, I get the whole sockeye thing, but Darren, is there an uglier fish out there?
0: Uh, catfish. Uh, sturgeon, yeah, maybe, those maybe. big sturgeon that they catch in the Fraser yeah, River, those yeah, things.
1: Yeah, we got all those out here in BC, but in terms yeah. of salmon, like if I'm thinking salmon, I need a big, like meaty coho chinooks with the, or the stock with the <laughs> sort of hook nose. It just,
0: I'm taking the, I I'm taking know, the Kraken. Kraken,
1: Kraken worked for me.
0: Absolutely. Uh, on behalf of Kevin Woodley, I'm Darren Millard. Thanks for listening. And thanks for your support at In Goal Mag, In Goal Radio, the podcast, and of course, uh, all on social media, and all of our all of our loyal listeners, uh, we appreciate your patronage, and we'll uh, be back next week with another edition of Ingle Radio, the podcast.